Like this is the impact that you should have when you have some of these things in place. When you know who you're best equipped to reach, when you're leaning into your strengths as a congregation, you're going to attract the right people and you're going to turn away the people that aren't going to be a good fit. And that's not wrong. That's what should happen because there's another church somewhere else that's designed to reach them where they're at. And you don't need the pressure of trying to reach them too. <laughs> Welcome to the Center for Congregations podcast. This is a conversation for anyone invested in sustaining and strengthening their faith communities. The Center for Congregations is an Indiana nonprofit that exists because we believe that the work of your congregation is essential. Our mission is to strengthen your congregation, helping you find the right information or expertise for your congregation's needs. We're able to do this work because of the generosity of the Lilly Endowment. Welcome back to the Center for Congregations podcast. We are excited to have you with us today. I am Shelley Riggs-Jordan, the director of the Southeast office. And today I am with Matt Burke, my colleague in Northeast. Hello, Matt. Hey, Shelley. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Doing good. We're recording this on a Friday, so it's always good to be on a Friday. Yes. And apparently it's supposed to be really nice this weekend. So I hope so. Good lead into the weekend. Yeah. As we're recording this, it is a cold and rainy October day, but <laughs> who knows? You might be listening to this in summer of 2025. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so today we are talking about a fascinating topic that I had no idea even existed, at least parts of it. And one of the questions that I had to ask of our interviewee was, what does the word psychodemographic mean? Because, you know... <laughs> It can be something very good or with psycho in front of it. <laughs> I really wasn't sure. Yeah. In my previous work, we had psychometricians and it took me a while to figure out what the heck a psychometrician was. <laughs> well, if I'm remembering correctly, Tyler talked about it as being the needs that people have, the felt needs, wants, desires, getting a real feel for what's going on in the lives of people in your congregation and in your community. Is that a fair definition, Matt? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, and we definitely tackle that in the interview. And that's in the broader context of the idea of marketing and communications, which when we talk to Tyler in a little bit, you'll hear a little bit more about their specific approach. But I'm curious, Shelley, how do you see congregations approaching you and your work around the ideas of marketing and communications at the center? I think mostly I see them coming because they want a new website or are starting to understand the importance of consistency in branding. And I worry sometimes that congregations are a little hesitant because the word marketing can have positive or negative connotations. Mm -hmm. But I think it's really just about helping people understand who you are. And so I think when they come to me anyway, it's really about how do we make our website or the things that we put out be reflective of who we really are. So that's what I see mostly. How about for you, Matt? Yeah, kind of the same thing that in terms of marketing and communications, usually it's about a website, it's about social media, you know, marketing and branding, brand identity, those kinds of things, which are, I'm going to put a plug in here for the idea of technical versus adaptive issues. And mm. if you and the audience have never heard that idea of technical versus adaptive issues, that is something in the work of Ronald Heifetz that we at the center have been paying attention to for quite some time. And the idea behind it is that a technical challenge is something that has a solution that's already present. You just need to access that solution. So you don't like your website, you get a web designer, you create a new website. To put it in the ideas of the medical field, you know, somebody has a heart blockage, they have open heart surgery, fix the blockage. But the idea of adaptive changes, adaptive challenges are those that don't have a ready answer. And it's something that takes a lot of exploration. It takes innovation. It takes potentially change within your organization or within a person. A doctor can fix a blockage issue, but they can't necessarily fix the lifestyle of that patient. That's a much more difficult thing to do. And so I think that's relevant to this conversation because there are so many technical solutions to marketing and communications like social media, like websites. But in the conversation that we have in a little bit, I think you'll hear that it's a little trickier than that. And mm -hmm. it requires paying attention to who your congregation is. It takes paying attention to how you communicate, how you even think about yourself before you can get to the stage of those technical solutions. So if you haven't heard that idea of technical versus adaptive change, we recommend you check out the works of Ron Heifetz 
and take a look at some of the thoughts that he has because it's some really fascinating stuff that we think is really powerful for congregations. Great analogy, Matt. That was a perfect thing to bring up. So if your congregation is interested in the ideas of marketing and communications, or maybe even if you think those terms are maybe a little icky, (laughs) this will still be a good conversation. And we'll talk on the other side of it a little bit about those ideas of marketing and communication and how they can seem positive and negative in a congregational context. But first, we want you to hear Tyler Harden. He's the co-founder and CEO of Firm Foundations Marketing Incorporated. And we just had a great conversation with him, his organization, and their approach, which I think you'll find some real value to and some really good things to think about. So up next is Shelly and I with Tyler Harden. everybody. Welcome back. We are pleased to be talking with Tyler Harden, who is the co-founder of Firm Foundations Marketing Incorporated. Tyler, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And we're excited to talk to you today, primarily because Shelly wants to know what psychographic (laughs) (laughs) means, but we'll get to that. So Firm Foundations is a marketing organization. And Tyler and I had a conversation a number of weeks ago, and I was just intensely curious because Tyler your organization has a very data-driven approach that I had never heard of before. And I know congregations are really interested in marketing in general because it's important to market and package who you are to the public. But the approach that you're using, I would love for you to tell our listeners how you use a data-driven approach and what that looks like. Yeah, absolutely. So really what we do is we help churches kind of break through the like irrelevancy that's happening in, in churches right now in this busy, chaotic, post Christian culture. So unfortunately, what we're seeing is a lot of churches respond to that by copying some other church down the road, some big name church across the country, and really kind of skipping over some fundamental or foundational elements to engaging people. And so my business partner and I, we've been doing this with churches specifically for five and a half years now, but prior to that in our corporate careers, market research, community research was a big part of our world. And so this is something that's going on in other industries using research to identify sort of who are your ideal audiences? Who are the people that you're going to do the best with reaching? Um, and so we've developed a proprietary process over the years to kind of help you create that focus so that you can engage with more intentionality. You can understand what's going on in these people's lives. Why is it that they're not showing up every Sunday? Like what's competing for their attention? Where are their priorities? What are they looking for in a church? What are their ministry needs? Like it's so deeply impactful to every ministry of the church. I mean, I love it as a marketer, but the reality is if this isn't also shaping your ministries, not just your messaging, you're missing the mark. So when it comes to that big, <laughs> the big scary word that you're referencing with Shelly, psychographic segmentation research, to boil it down, it gets to lifestyle, how people are living their lives, what's affecting them on a day-to-day basis, what's driving their decision-making. Because you have people that have a traditional family household structure. You have people that have, you know, maybe they're a single adult and they're going to look and act and live very differently. They're going to spend very differently. You've got people that are, have lived in the same town for generations. You've got other folks that are constantly moving every few years for a new opportunity. So all those things are impacting how churches are able to reach them. And the more we understand about those people, the more effectively we can engage them in the mission. Yeah, I appreciate that definition. And to be clear, I also did not know what that meant. (laughs) It wasn't just Shelly. It was me too. Yeah, so it's such an interesting concept. And I mean, when you spell it out, it seems like a no-brainer, but I know it's not. So talk to me a little bit about when you come into congregations, those that have kind of tried their own approaches or tried their own ways that haven't really worked well, what are they missing in this? What are they missing in this world of matching up with It sounds like you're talking about the identities and the needs of the people that they really want to reach. Yeah. So there's a couple of aspects that we look at when we do this with churches. First of all, I fully believe that your church needs to be uniquely you. You need to lean into your strengths, your identity, your culture. And so that is a big part of our process is understanding who you are, what makes you you. And then we go into the data to find the people that are looking for what you do really well and who you are. To oversimplify, we already know in the church space, some people want a very traditional service. Some people want a very modern service. So, you know, we get far more refined than that, but just to kind of maybe put the cookies on the bottom shelf, so to speak, for people that are listening, those are the kinds of things that we're looking at. So, you know, one of the other problems that we see is churches 
they make an attempt at this, but they just don't know what they don't know, right? They went to seminary. They, they, didn't, they don't have a side hustle as a market researcher. <laughs> and I don't think they should, right? That's not where their energy is best directed. So we often see people either kind of doing one of two things. They create a, we might call a persona, which is sort of, you try to list some of these things that are going on in people's lives, what their household structure looks like. I talked to one church that it was like a military family with a nurse and they did this and they did that, you know, a three-legged dog or, you know, whatever. <laughs> They're kind of just, it ended up being a hodgepodge of individuals they knew. It wasn't a realistic household that you could then go out and pursue because there's thousands of them in your community. So that was like, again, their best attempt, but it's not necessarily realistic. And then on the flip side of that is sometimes people are very generic and they say, hey, we want to reach young families. I mean, so many churches want to reach young families. Admirable goal. But there's a very different definition of young families <laughs> across churches, communities, right? If you're in a, if in a super rural setting versus an urban setting, a young family is going to look and act very different. Or if you're a single parent raising a teenager, what's pulling on your life is going to be extremely different than a two-parent household with multiple kids that are in sports and doing, you know, so it really helps to, again, pull back the layers, get more specific about how they're living their lives, because it's ultimately what's driving their decisions to come to church or not, or be engaged in the mission or not, or go to small group or not, those kinds of things. So yeah, being either erroneously specific or unintentionally too generic are some of the big missteps we see church leaders making with their congregations. And again, they're doing their best, but that's not what they were trained for. So thankfully there's people like us <laughs> that this is what we do day in and day out and have developed a proven process over the years. Uh, so I'm based in Virginia. We talked to the church in Texas recently did this whole research process with them presented to their team. And at the end they were like, that is our church. Like these are our people. I'm like, that's exactly how this should go. Like, I've never stepped foot in your church. I've never attended a service, but our process works. Like, we can identify your core folks. And then what does that look like in pursuing them within the community? Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. whether we know it or not, we're using metrics, right? But a lot of us are using the metrics from the 50s and the 60s. If you build it, they will come. All you have to do is open your doors. And life in the world is very different. Congregations are not the center of community anymore. They're just one thing among many that is pulling at people. So to kind of reframe that for congregations and help them see not what was, but what is, I think is a fantastic service for congregations. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we've worked with brand new church plants to mega churches. And what I love is the process is the same. This is not, you know, like it's only for big churches or it's only for small churches or, you know, I mean, the average church in America is a relatively small church. So I love that it works for them, you know, and sort of to a point I mentioned earlier, like, if you fully take advantage of this, it should impact every area of your ministry. And so to say that another way too, is this is something that can rally your entire leadership team around. Mm. So everybody's from the same starting point. We're pursuing the same understanding of people when we're working on our communications, when we're building out our ministries, when we're exploring new outreach opportunities, it helps create that clarity that everybody is on that same playing field. We worked with a church in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, for example, and they're communications team actually took our research. So as part of this, we create sort of printable posters as a quick reference for people because we want it to stay in front of them and actionable, <laughs> not be like, you got some booklet of charts or something <laughs> on a shelf. And their communications team printed the, the posters out as like full-blown, you know, 24 by 36 posters of the profile highlights of the families they're trying to reach and keep them hanging up in their office. So that way, when they're trying to develop a new campaign to, you know, market their church or have a new event coming up or ministry you know, announcement, they can go back to you. Okay. What are the things that are important to these people that we're trying to reach? You know, trying to remove some of that brain power required too. Like you don't have to retain all those details, but we're trying to keep it in front of you to keep it easy. So you can spend your time being creative and thoughtful and prayerful and not remember a sea of information. Yeah. And you kind of give congregations permission not to be all things to all people. Yes. Oh, that is a great point because that's one of the downsides of not having this clarity, honestly, is you end up not knowing what direction to go in. You never gain traction or momentum. There's no shortage of good things to be done in our world, right? Yep. <laughs> so how do you discern the good from the great, the distractions from the godly opportunities, the divine opportunities? And so this really helps create that focus. And another part of this too is it is based largely on who you are as a church today. 
but part of our process does take into account like, hey, if you're casting new vision, you want to be something different five years from now, then we take that consideration into our approach. So churches that are looking to make a big shift, this supports them in that goal and dream as well. So the, the flexibility of it is amazing. But we've said this sort of anecdotally for years that we can work with churches side by side and give two totally different recommendations. Now, if you go to traditional community research services for churches, which there's several of them out there, and they're good, you know, nothing wrong with them. If you have churches side by side, you're going to get the same report back because they're going to pull like a 10 mile radius and that's what you're going to get the same stats back. But our process is individualized to helping match that church with their best fit within the community. So we have actually, in the last few months, worked with two churches that are five miles from each other. So pretty darn close <laughs> to side by side. And yeah, we gave two very different recommendations because it is based on who their church is. Now, they're even of similar size. So they're close in proximity and they're close in the size of their congregations. But there's different things that make up those congregations, what's, what's important to them, what their culture's like, what their styles are, like their leadership, all that kind of stuff. And so two very different recommendations for two churches, because I really feel like when this is done well, we should function as like the big C church should function as the body of Christ. Like we all play a different role in reaching people. But if we all try to go after everybody, we're fighting against each other, not intentionally, <laughs> but we have to kind of identify our role. And what I said at the beginning is like lean into who you are, your unique strengths, and just allow that focus to take some of the burden off, frankly, of trying to reach everyone. And then in a community, instead of congregations competing with one another, now you're doing this and you're doing this and you're doing this. And maybe there becomes a bigger spirit of cooperation, which is yeah. what we're called to anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it becomes very complimentary. Yeah. We're, we're working side by side, you know, shoulder to shoulder because we're leaning into who God designed us to be in the first place. So I heard you mention a couple of times, Tyler, about how this kind of research helps a congregation determine what kind of ministries they're going to do. Can you provide some specifics on that? Because I'm really curious. Because most people, I think when they think about marketing and communications, I would imagine they, at least for me, I don't think about it touching that aspect of what a congregation is. But talk to me about how you've seen that play out in certain circumstances or instances. Yeah. So part of the profiles that we delve into, again, when we identify your ideal audiences, we're looking at their pain points. You know, what are the things they're struggling with? What are their spiritual needs? What's their spiritual condition? So again, yes, we are a marketing communications company. That is our heartbeat. But I'm also a certified church consultant through Church Answers. And so I've got a passion for churches really fully taking advantage of this to shape their ministry. Because what I don't want to see happen as we put some great language on a new website that hits home with your ideal audience and they show up and you have nothing there that actually meets their very practical needs, you know, in a spiritual way. And so the churches that do this well, that reap the benefit are fully embracing all the opportunities where they can leverage this. So, you know, a lot of churches, this is such a basic example, but you might have like a divorce care class or something like that, or a recovery group or something. Now I've seen churches that say, hey, we don't have that because there's this church down the road that it is, they're crushing it. They do it so well. Wow. We want you to go there for that. We don't need to also add that service. So I think that goes back to when you know who you are and who you're best equipped to reach, you can say no to things. And I think it kind of takes a confident immature leader to understand that that's a good thing to do is yep. to say no to things. Because again, there's no shortage of good things to be done. But if we say yes to all the good things, we're going to miss out on the great things and the areas where we can make the greatest impact. Mm -hmm. We're shooting buckshot instead of darts. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> again, because you've got older leaders, generally speaking across congregations, you know, there's a pastoral shortage and all the people are staying longer as senior pastors. And so there's just a natural disconnect for what some younger generations need, even from a learning standpoint, because again, their starting point is very different. We're in a post-Christian culture, but also, especially young adults, they want to be able to have like a push and pull. They want to have a conversation. They really want to lean into their faith and press on it and understand it and marinate on it and those kinds of things. And the way church has typically been done doesn't always allow for those opportunities. And so... When you understand what these people need from you, you can start to dream about how does this look different? How does this impact the way we've always done things, right? <laughs> how do we create spaces where we can make sure that the people that we naturally reach well are continuing to mature in their faith? They're spreading the gospel with others. They're inviting their friends because they're like, man, I came here with so many questions. They gave me a space where I can ask those. 
and get the answers and you should come and hear them too and be a part of that conversation. Hmm. You know, so we worked with a church. I can't remember what state they're in. It's like, this is the downside of working with churches all over the country. You're like, oh, we're... <laughs> last week. <laughs> well, we worked with one and it was like, we were meeting with the comms director and their adult ministries pastor at the same time. The comms director was like, how do I use this to communicate more effectively? Like, what's the plan I need to implement? And then the adult ministries guy was like, man, I'm really thinking about how do we do small groups better? Because we need to not just have lecture style learning, but like these people really are going through some stuff. They don't have the same spiritual background and strength. So how do we have more conversational opportunities or dive deep into specific issues to meet them where they're at? You know, Big C Church again talks about a lot about meeting people where they are. But I think a lot of times if we were to go back to our congregations and really take an honest look, that's not happening. And so this kind of helps tease up those kinds of moments of change and assessment to really make a bigger impact. We've got a church that we're working with right now. It's a senior leader. He actually was the founding pastor and he is using this in our process as a way to sort of finish well in his ministry. He anticipates probably five, 10 years left, something like that. And he wants to kind of get the house in order and make sure he's leaving it in good hands for the next person behind him. So I love that we can work with somebody that's brand new to ministry and somebody that's looking to exit ministry and have the same process because the heart behind it is we are passionate about reaching people to share the gospel. But if we continue to be generic and irrelevant, they'll never hear the message we have to share with them. Hmm. That's good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I need to step back real quick to shooting buckshot instead of darts. (laughs) Shelly, that's perhaps one of the most country things I've ever heard you say. And I just, I just couldn't pass that up to make sure that everyone is aware. In other words, you didn't hear anything that I said after she said buckshot. <laughs> I did. I did. So I do have follow up on that, but I just, I just had to go back, Shelly, because that's amazing. But Tyler, and maybe you've even said this, but flowing through what you're talking about, I've had a suspicion that the idea of felt needs are so important for congregations right now. And the reason I say that is because you know, there's the lament of, you know, well, nobody's coming back to worship on Sundays anymore. And, you know, how do we get them back? And part of me having experienced that from a person who sits in the pews is the sense that like, oh, there's lots of other stuff that I can do that actually fulfills my needs. And like, I don't, you know, personally feel like I'm being lazy or being disobedient, but there's, you know, family aspects and rest aspects to the things that I might do instead of coming back into the worship space. And I think, it's been my suspicion that congregations need to reframe their thinking rather than, I think people were coming because it was just the thing you're supposed to do. But now it's the sense that, oh, I need my needs met. Yeah. And so how does that work into what you're talking about and how you work with congregations and how you kind of coach and consult with them? Yeah. So I think, you know, the one sort of caveat I want to make sure I point out here too is that it's real easy to end up taking this and run in like a consumeristic way with it. And that's not what we're trying to achieve. So <laughs> I know somebody out there is probably thinking it and that's, <laughs> that's not the end goal, but the church, the Bible has the answers to the things people are looking for. But if we're not aware of what people are looking for, because we're stuck in America, 1992, they're not going to hear us. Kind of marketing 101 is who is my audience and why should they care, right? And right. so if if the church isn't even answering why should they care or under, again, back to spiritual condition, if they don't understand or haven't really wrapped their head around, like, how does this impact my ministry, my communications day in and day out when people don't even know who Jesus is, which mm-hmm. seems radical to say to a lot of church leaders, you know, people in congregations, but it's the reality in some areas of America right now is they literally don't know who Jesus is. And so it can be so eye-opening that like, again, if we meet these felt needs, if we start addressing the problems in their life, then we've created relationship. We've opened the door for those spiritual conversations. But if all we're doing is Bible thumping, for example, Mm -hmm. now we're the church that so many young adults don't want to hear from and that they see, you know, blasted on the news constantly, right? We have to be intentional about communicating how we're helping people, not just talking about the things that we're against or something like that, because we should genuinely care about them. And that shows in our actions. And so especially young generations, like authenticity is a huge thing and really living out Jesus's teaching. And they're going to call us on our hypocrisy Mm -hmm. if we're preaching one thing on Sunday and then completely ignore them on Monday afternoon. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think this is why those generations are having so much trouble in congregational life getting along because it's two very different ways of looking at what church should be. Yeah. Like that older generation, you know, pastor, I don't care if your life is a mess, pretend like it isn't because I need your life to be good, right? And they yeah. learn that in seminary. And you don't really push on your faith. Whatever your pastor says, you believe. And then as generations changed and we taught our children to, it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to have doubt. Now we have this whole generation that's taking us up on our offer to really explore doubt and explore your relationship. And now we don't know what to do with them. But that's all they're looking for is just, you know, it's easier to thump a Bible than it is to sit with somebody and entertain their questions and their doubts. And I think that's scary for some congregations that you're working with. What do you mean I have to entertain their doubts? What do you mean I have to give space for them to ask questions? So I'm really excited to hear you say that's part of what you help congregations deal with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was telling Matt before this, I was just spending some time with some folks from the Fuller Youth Institute, specifically talking about how do we raise up young leaders? They are probably the most passionate generation we have had in a very long time. The problem is, is so many of us aren't willing to listen to them or spend the time with them to hear them out. We shut them down before mm. they even get a chance. And so it is so much of a mindset shift, a heart shift for folks in that conversation with the fuller folks. I mean, I talked about having a next gen, a next generation advocate being so important because we need to start shaping the mindset of our leaders to be like, it's not my job just to invite somebody to a thing because that's what I'm supposed to do. It's I need to advocate for them. I need to give them a space and an opportunity to be part of the conversation, to have Mm -hmm. influence because the reality is is they do some things really well that the rest of us don't. (laughs) They've got the possible answers to every spiritual question under the sun available to them through technology and they're pursuing those things. And when we're not willing to have conversations about those things with them in real life, they're going to start creating their own answers and finding their own communities that just kind of enhances, you know, what they're finding. We need to be willing to sit with them and learn truth together and be authentic. And just, you know, when you don't know an answer, you don't know an answer, but they don't want to hear what we have to say until we show that we're even making an effort to understand them. And that's fair. Yeah. (laughs) I think that's fair. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's that old adage of don't care how much you know till they know how much you care, right? Like yep. that saying's been around for so long, but I feel like it's so much more relevant right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But when we fully embrace those younger generations, especially, I mean, I really believe there's so much opportunity because they're so passionate about making a difference and a meaningful impact in this world. Mm-hmm. They are mission driven, leave a legacy kind of people. And we need to embrace that, not squash that, because that can be used for the church in so many ways. Absolutely. Yeah. So maybe can you give a couple of examples of where congregations have really taken this to heart and done this well, that they've really thought about their identity, thought about what they have to offer, changed the way that they think about themselves, the way that they talk to the community. Where have you seen real growth and benefit like that? Yeah. So I will say again, when fully embraced and everybody comes to us kind of at a different starting point, but it is a process. It takes time. I mean, I almost want to think about it like if you were a church in revitalization, like this is not going to happen overnight because processes need to change. Mindset needs to shift. Leaders need to get on board. Congregation needs to, you know, eventually come along too. But, you know, there's some very quick things you can begin to implement. I mean, first of all, just getting our research, that whole process is like a seven day thing, right? That's a quick turnaround. You can start learning and, you know, looking for changes that you can make. Messaging is one of the things that we lead churches through. How do you develop the language that kind of bridges the gap between your audience and your church's culture and the things that you offer? Because we naturally talk about ourselves. So we have to, we have to change our language, our default language to talk about the people that we're trying to reach and show why we're relevant. And so going through that, and a lot of times that'll be, you'll get new language or a new website to accommodate that, but it should not stop there. You know, so keywords and phrases should start making their way onto what you say from the pulpit or from the stage or in your sermons, because you want to create, we call it brand and audience language. Like you want to tie those two things together where you kind of become like a Venn diagram of who we are and who they are. What's that sweet spot overlap? Those are the things that we're going to repeat over and over again, those keywords, those key phrases to show that we understand you. Because one thing that we actually haven't touched on so much in this conversation to this point is empathy is incredibly important. And so when we show empathy and understanding of our audience, we're showing them that we care. First Corinthians 13, one talks about, you know, resounding gong or clanging cymbal. If we don't have love, that's what we are. And it's like, well, how do we show love? We show love by showing understanding. 
But if we don't understand them, we're just a bunch of noise in the background. And so that's kind of the things that we want to see churches do is start making some practical changes, but it does take time. So we worked with one church plant, for example, about six months after they started, revamped their language, gave them the focus and clarity on their audience. And we're only about, I think, a year out now, maybe almost a year and a half. They outgrew their original location and they're now adding a second service to their new location because of how these things can impact you know, the church from a very practical attendance numbers thing. I mean, that's not everything, of course, but mm-hmm. you know, I mean, think about how many times you go on a church website and you're like, I don't know what makes this church any different than some other one. Like, never mind if it's made, you know, if they're going to understand me and what I'm going through, or what I need, they're just saying, welcome home. And I'm like, I, what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know, we worked with a larger congregation that completely reshaped their communications coming out of COVID. They had a lot of congregational shift. They lost a bunch of people, but they gained a lot of new folks. And of course, like, you know, old methods weren't working anymore. And they're like, okay, we need to know who we have here. And then what do we need to do differently and create clarity in their communications that way? You know, I gave the example earlier of that one church that just simply was like, this is our people. And so now we're going to start going into the messaging aspect of them and start coaching that pastor into how this can make a difference in different areas of their ministry. But yeah, it's, it's really about looking for opportunities to build those bridges, specifically, you know, in communications from our standpoint, but also coming alongside ministry leaders to help them see, you know, what can we do differently? What are the small wins, small things we can do that get us a quick win? What are the big long-term things? Because of course, if you're talking significant change, then that has a different timeline to it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it usually takes between six and 18 months, I would probably say to really start getting everything into all the different areas. I mean, that's going to just going to vary depending on the congregation size, dynamics, all those things, but it's a process. And it's really exciting to see that when those people fully embrace it and look for all the opportunities to apply it. And I feel like it's important for folks who are listening to understand that what Tyler's talking about is not advertising. It's not like you're trying to sell something about your congregation. What he's talking about is figuring out who you are and then how best to communicate that truth about yourself to people that are looking for a congregational home. Yes. Perfect. Yeah. Clarity is really what it's all about when it comes down to it, because I switched churches after 14 years, a couple of years ago, difficult decision, prayerful decision, all those kinds of things. And the first Sunday I was at my new church, it was like, oh my gosh, this is where we need to be. Mm. And like the pastor was saying things that mattered in my heart about like church planting. He had shared missional language, you know, just It was like in that one service, I was like, I see the vision. I understand what's the heart and the culture of the people here. I want everybody to experience that kind of thing because it's not about your church is good or bad or, you know, what, you know, like, oh man, the mega church down the road is getting all the young families. Like, no, lean into who you are. Mm -hmm. That's all I want you to do because when people are looking for who you are and you're clear about it to them, it is a godsend. Like, I mean, I walked into that church and just wanted to cry (laughs) because Because <laughs> it was just like, they understand. This yeah. is what I was hoping for, what I was praying for. But the problem is that so many churches are just, they're lacking that clarity because they don't have the skill sets. Right. Again, not to their detriment. That's not what they went to school for. Mm-hmm. And so when we create clarity, it's not about getting big numbers. It's about getting people that are desperately in search of people like you. And they just need to know you exist. Yeah, yeah. I once heard a guy whose expertise is in small congregations talked about rural congregations talking about wanting young adults in. And then they do a demographic look based on the Census Bureau at what's around them. And like, there aren't any young adults. And yeah. it's like, you know, those congregations need to embrace the fact that like, we can be a really amazing boomer church and it would be awesome. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so just embracing what you do have, what you are good at. And so the people who are a part of that community who are boomers can come there, hear language that they understand you know, here needs that they have being talked about being met and just be able to embrace that. I can imagine how you must have felt it was like a homecoming for you to be a part Mm. of that congregation. Yeah. Which is not at all what I expected. Again, coming out of a church that I had been at for 14 years and I was like, oh man, we're going to have to go through this for a while. Like we had to drag the kids everywhere. It's going to be so confusing and whatever else. And it was like, I mean, I still remember what he preached that sermon like two years ago, like later. Right. So like, it's just Mm -hmm. (laughs) the communication was clear across the board. And it made such a difference to connecting him to my heart. And I think, you know, I was already doing this professionally, but it was like, it just became 
real to me on a personal level. Like this is the impact that you should have when you have some of these things in place. When you know who you're best equipped to reach, when you're leaning into your strengths as a congregation, you're going to attract the right people and you're going to turn away the people that aren't going to be a good fit. And that's not wrong. That's what should happen because there's another church somewhere else that's designed to reach them where they're at. And you don't need the pressure of trying to reach them too. (laughs) You're also talking about needing a very emotionally healthy leader and leadership board to be able to embrace those realities in a positive way. Yes, absolutely. Well, Tyler, thank you for sharing that very personal story to illustrate what we've been talking about today. And as we come to the end of our time here, where can folks find more information about you, about Firm Foundations and just see your work? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the best place for everybody to start, so we have two websites just to make it confusing for folks, but (laughs) (laughs) the best place for people to start is at ministryreset.com. So that is where you can go check out a sample of our research findings, like what you would expect to get as a client there. Our main website is Firm Foundations Marketing, but that is a mouthful and potential for typos. So (laughs) I would recommend you start at ministryreset.com get the research sample that's there. You can also purchase your own directly there. It takes seven days to turn around. But yeah, absolutely. You can follow me on social media. My handle is pretty much everywhere is Tyler D as in dog Harden. I'm sure that'll be linked somewhere too. So pretty active on Instagram, Facebook, occasionally Twitter. It kind of rotates. But yeah, I love talking to congregation leaders and kind of hearing their hearts, where they're at in their ministry and how we can come alongside by providing clarity and next steps so they can achieve the mission that they've set up. Awesome. Awesome. We'll make sure all of that information is listed in our show notes. And Tyler, thank you so much for the work that you do and just see it as incredibly important for our congregational communities all around this country. So very much appreciate that. And we appreciate your time today. So thanks for being here. Oh, thank you. It's been an honor. Right, so that was our conversation on marketing and communications with Tyler Harden. Shelley, what were some of the themes that interested you in that conversation? I think the one that really caught my attention the most was how this process that Tyler has in place really just helps congregations figure out who they are. Mm-hmm. And it gives them permission to not try and do it all. But to say, hey, we really have capacity and passion and ability to have a really great marriage ministry. So let's just focus in on that instead of having 20 tabs open that they do not well maybe, or do one or two well, just to really be able to focus their energy in one or two directions. I just think that's freeing for congregations. Yeah, absolutely. And what a millennial and Gen Z analogy, having too many tabs open. Or maybe a boomer analogy. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe Gen Z and millennials are good about closing those tabs and it's the older generations that aren't. <laughs> That's a good point. But yeah, just how, you know, having too many things open bogs down your ability to process, right? Yep. And that's something I was thinking about as he was talking, that if you started listing, you know, we talked about this in the podcast before, so apologies for listeners who are around a lot. But we always think about Paul saying in the New Testament for the Christian scriptures, we hear Paul talking about being all things to all people mm. and assuming that that's a mandate for not only us personally, but also for the congregations that we're a part of. And I don't think that was Paul's point. I think he was saying, like, I personally, in order to be able to talk to all the different people that I talk to, I've made sure to be able to change the mindset and contextualize what I'm saying. Yes. I don't think he meant, like, I'm all things, therefore I'm, like, the person who is the doctor for someone when they need it or I'm the accountant for somebody, you know, that wasn't the point. And so it's a misunderstanding when we think our congregation has to offer every single thing for every ill in society. We just can't do it. And it'd be interesting to just start listing, going through a list of, you know, what the ills are in the world. Mm. And I'm sure we could get to 150 to 500 (laughs) in pretty short order. (laughs) Yes. And no one congregation, I don't care how big, how well-resourced you are, you're not going to be able to do all of those things. And especially the 85% of congregations that are below 100 in attendance. Yes. You're not going to get there. No. And so, yeah, the permission to relax and think about what do we do well? To use your analogy, what tabs do we keep open that are going to run well, that we're good at, that our community needs, as opposed to assuming or thinking that we have to do every single thing under the sun. Yeah. 
because people are exhausted. We live life at a pace that is not sustainable. And if we transfer that to how we do congregation and community, we're really going to be burnt out. So yeah, there's a congregation in Seymour that recognized the need for diapers and formula Mm -hmm. for parents with kids who use both those things. So they've opened a diaper pantry and it has just taken off like wildfire. It's beautiful. And that is their focus. That is the main thing they do. And because that's what they're focusing on, they're doing it really well. Mm -hmm. So they've given themselves permission to focus in on this one thing and not try to be, oh, and they also need this and they also need that. It's been a really great thing to see. Yeah. And so I think in the process of, you know, any congregation that's thinking about marketing and communications, as he mentioned, just backing up and thinking about, okay, hang on, what do we want to let people know? What needs do we want to meet in the community? Mm -hmm. And I talked at one point about felt needs and he rightly pushed back on that, that felt needs when it's giving people just what they want, that might be problematic Mm -hmm. because it's like, you know, my 11 year old, what do you want for dinner, buddy? Uh, I want pudding and Pepsi. Uh, nope, nope, that's that's not going to work. But the felt need is my son is hungry. I need to feed him dinner. So yeah. I create an appropriate dinner, right? And so there's the sense of felt needs of what people actually need, not necessarily just what they're asking about. And so right. I think there's a wise distinction to be made there so that we're not as congregations trying to just tell people what they want to hear Mm. or giving them precisely what they might think they want, but trying to meet the deeper need that's in the community or in the people that we want to serve. Yeah, I love that, Matt. I love that. And I think Tyler's process is all about not only helping congregations understand that about themselves, but then how do we, in a very real, authentic way, explain to people outside of us who we are and what we represent. Mm-hmm. Give them that clarity of, hey, if you want to come join us, this is what we're all about. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the beautiful thing about what he does too. I know he calls it marketing, but not marketing as in like, you know, bounty, it's the best. Like, <laughs> you know, I was at Walmart when my kid was two and I put an off brand of paper towels in the cart and my daughter turned around and picked him up and put him back on the shelf. And I said, what are you doing? And she said, we can't buy those. They're not bounty. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, well, bounty's the best. <laughs> And I thought, no more TV. So we're not talking about that kind of marketing. Mm. (laughs) We're just talking about how do you talk about who you authentically are in a way that other people can hear and understand? Yeah, and I've encountered congregations in our work here that look at marketing, specifically that term, as something that implies being disingenuous Mm -hmm. or something that implies telling people what they want to hear. Yep. And I get that because we live in a world where that happens. Yep. That, you know, maybe bounty is not the best, <laughs> but, but that's what they tell us, right? So, you know, you don't want to misrepresent who you are, but I tend to think that the ideas that he was describing and talking about, and also marketing and communications organizations that understand congregations understand that. Mm-hmm. that this is not about telling lies about yourself in order for people to access you but rather a proper contextualization of who you are in a way that people will understand. Yes. And I think, you know, there might even be skepticism of that comment, but if we didn't contextualize, things would be meaningless. I mean, I think I mentioned after the conversation, I don't think it was in the interview, but if we didn't contextualize, we would still be reading the New Testament scriptures in Greek (laughs) and the Hebrew scriptures in Hebrew. And it would be absolutely meaningless because we speak English, right? Yes. I mean, that was the whole big thing with uh, Vatican II for the Roman Catholic world was putting the mass in a contextual language that people would be able to understand and access. And I get the sense that that's what Tyler's talking about. And any credible marketing and communications firm that's going to work with a congregation, I think that's going to be their stance is we're trying to help you appropriately contextualize who you are so that people are able to access you. Yeah. That's a great analogy, Matt. And I think that's spot on in terms of what he's talking about and what their organization is hoping to do with and for. I know, I don't think for, I think with. Mm -hmm. It seemed like it was very much a process that engaged the congregation that they're working with. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so hopefully listeners will take that away from the conversation that it's about contextualizing who you are. And I really appreciated the other focus of it, which was really digging in and understanding who you are. And that's been a common theme for me as I've worked with congregations in the almost 10 years that I've been here is that so many things go back to 
developing a unique congregational identity. Mm. Because in the Christian world, we talk about the gospel and so many congregations, that's their primary statement about why they exist is the gospel. Well, gospel is just the Greek word for good news, as many people know. And if you were to list the things that would be good news to your community, there are hundreds. Mm. And of course, ultimately in the Christian world, we view that as, you know, relationship with the divine through Jesus. But there's so many paths to that relationship. And also when we look at the example of Jesus in the New Testament, he was about meeting real needs too. And especially about bringing people into relationship with not only himself, but with their broader community. Yes. And so there are just so many aspects of what we can do as congregations in the world that are perceived as good news that point to the greater idea of good news that we believe in. But the more unique and specific elements, congregations can take specific paths And as we talked about, meet specific needs that they're equipped to meet, like Mm -hmm. your example of the congregation in Seymour, Indiana, that they saw that need. And I'm sure that they're building relationships through that. And I'm sure that the greater mission of of who they think they are, I'm sure that they don't think the end-all be-all of their existence is to provide diapers and formula. But it's something that they're meeting a need in communities and showing love in their community that has other repercussions and other positive outcomes on the other side of it. Absolutely. And I think the power in that is it frees congregations from competition. Like if we don't all Mm -hmm. have to be all things to all people, then we're not competing with each other. If we each Mm -hmm. have, okay, this is where we focus and this is where you focus and this is where you focus, then all of a sudden it can be collaborative, which is Mm -hmm. that cooperation, I think is what we're called to anyway, not competition. So I think knowing who you are and knowing for lack of a better phrase, what your lane is that you do Mm -hmm. the best in, I think frees up congregations to be more cooperative. Yeah, I agree. And I think implied in the conversation, although not explicitly stated, was that if you're a congregation that's going through the process of understanding your identity, I think it makes sense to pay attention to what other congregations, nonprofits, organizations, or even governmental organizations that are in your community that are doing good work that you can get behind mm-hmm. and say, we can take that off our list, yes. right? Yes. Like if the congregation one mile away has an amazing 12-step program, Celebrate Recovery or AA or what have you, don't reinvent it. Yep. You know, allow them to do that. And if people need that, send them that direction, but then find out what it is that you do incredibly well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the process that Firm Foundation has really can help congregations through that process. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So Firm Foundations seems like a good resource for marketing and communications. But Shelly, let's talk about some other resources that we think may be helpful that are in a similar vein. Okay. Well, I think one of them that would be very helpful is something called the Association of Religion Data Archives. So if you're looking for it, it's www.thearda.com. And it really is about religious demographics in the U.S. worldwide, but you can look at a religion demographic report for your zip code so you can get it down real specific. And so it just kind of talks about the kinds of things that are going on in communities and congregations. So I think it's a really good form of some demographic information. How about you, Matt? What kind of resource do you want to bring? Yeah, for me, I want to go back to a podcast episode that we did in season three, episode five. And the title was, Who Are You Marketing and Branding for Congregations? And this was with Pastor Manuel Corosari, who joined myself and Ben Tapper and talked about branding and marketing for congregations. And again, you'll hear that common theme that it's so important to hear about identity. And so the link I'm going to share in the show notes will have a number of resources from that episode And I want to talk about one of those in specific that's been one of my favorite books on marketing and communications that I've really ever found. It's called Less Chaos, Less Noise, Effective Communications for an Effective Church, written by Kem Meyer. And Kem also actually is in Indiana for congregations in Indiana who are listening and also does consulting work on marketing and communications. But her book is just really interesting. It's incredibly practical. The chapters are short and she really focuses in on the practicalities of communications in our current world, that we're just inundated with so much information. So many things are just flying at us in so many different ways. And so how do we as congregations potentially reduce the amount of communication that we do, but be more effective in it? So just a really great book. And I'm a big fan of Kem's and just her thoughts and ideas on marketing and communication. So I'll post up not only the link to all of the resources from that episode, 
but specifically this book from Kim Meyer. And just want to remind everybody that in the show notes, we will have the link to Tyler's organization and their website. Their website is ministryreset.com. So those will be in the show notes if you want to grab those. And if you want more resources along the lines of really anything at all related to congregational life, the Center for Congregations has the CRG. And we'll link that in the show notes as well, T-H-E-C-R-G.org. And it is a searchable database of close to 2,000 of the best resources that we have identified. These are things that someone in our organization has had eyes on them, has looked at it in context, whether it's a video, whether it's a book, whether it's an organization. And we have said, you know, we really think this will be helpful for some congregations out there. So we're constantly revisiting that, pulling things down that don't make sense anymore, putting things up that we find that are new. So bookmark the CRG.org and visit there often. And you can search by keyword to find just about anything related to congregational life. If there's something missing, you go to the CRG and there's maybe something that we don't have enough information on, reach out to us. And you can always reach us at podcast at centerforcongregations.org. And we monitor that inbox regularly. So if you find an area that's missing, you think, hey, they need some more resources in this area. We'd love to hear from you. Also, if you just have feedback on the podcast, if you have an idea for a future guest or future topic, we'd love to hear from you or just to say hi. So podcast at centerforcongregations.org and just say hello. So we invite you to follow us wherever you listen to your podcast, whether that be Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen, and to also rate and review us because that will help others find the Center for Congregations podcast. We also want to make sure to thank the Lilly Endowment for their generous support of the Center for Congregations, the CRG, and the Center for Congregations podcast. They do a lot of great work in the world, and we are one of the benefactors of them, which enables us to produce this podcast and do our other work. So thank you to the Lilly Endowment. I've never said this before, but I think it's true. This episode was produced by Matt Burke. (gasps) I think I'm actually the producer. You know, I've been listening to other podcasts. They always talk about the producer. I think that's me. So, hey. That's exciting. (laughs) (laughs) Also, it was engineered and edited by Jaden Lee. And we would be remiss if we did not do our geographical shout out. This time, partway around the world to Hemel Hempstead, England, United Kingdom. So thank you to our listeners in the UK and specifically Hemel Hempstead. Appreciate you listening to the podcast. So for the Center for Congregations podcast, I'm Matt Burke. And I'm Shelley Riggs-Jordan. Thanks for listening. 